Good morning, everybody. This uh, summer, uh, Rob has set us uh, on a course, a series uh, in the book of John, Discovering Jesus. And one of the key characters in the first uh, part of that book is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, uh, for this crowd, I'll say he was the quintessential um, Ed McMahon. You know what I mean? He knew, who the, he knew who the show was, and he knew how to get out of the way. So when you're a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or witnessing to someone, um, you need to train yourself. You have the privilege of being that person. God has handed you the ball and said, uh, this shot belongs to you, right? Here's the point today. Everybody is somebody. And everybody sometimes feels like a nobody. Have you been there? But everybody... All of us, as we'll discover in uh, the book of John, chapter 3 and 4, everybody has a window of opportunity. This is a key tenet of uh, the Nazarene uh, doctrine in the expression of Christian faith, is that God's offer goes out to everyone. Amen? It went out to you one day. If you're here this morning... And you've never, you, you've just come today, let's say, and you've never really can articulate that you've ever heard the gospel. You will hear it today. And this day, today, is your window of opportunity. Just like in our story, uh, the, the stories we'll read this morning, the three people who we'll read about this morning, um, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, the Roman official, they had their window of opportunity. Nicodemus was kind of a somebody. He was a Pharisee and, and part of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, but yet he needed to find out in terms of his religious pursuit of God that he was a nobody, right? Like to Jesus, his status as a Pharisee wasn't the most important thing. And we have a Samaritan woman that Jesus on purpose goes up through Samaria to meet. And in her town, within her people, she was a nobody. She was a woman who had had five husbands and now was shacking up with somebody who wasn't her husband. And she had to go to the well when nobody else was there to draw water to take her home because she was treated like a nobody. But Jesus intersects her life um, to let her know she's somebody. Right? And then we have a Roman official who comes to Jesus because his son is sick and going to die. And he comes all the way from his hometown to Cana where Jesus is in that moment. And he's a somebody. He's a Roman ruler. Some people think that that meant he was a centurion, a leader of uh, you know, a troop of a hundred soldiers. But, but he was a leader. He was somebody. But he came all the way because he heard about Jesus uh, and he was a somebody. And, but he kind of didn't know if he had access to Jesus, but he had the faith to come and find out. And basic Jesus, basically Jesus' message to him was, yeah, you're a somebody too, to me. right? So we're going to find out when we finish Sometimes we can feel like somebody, and maybe we're a religious debater when it comes to our faith. We want to debate about 
creation. We want to debate about doctrine and all of those things. And, and people, maybe we come to Jesus with, or we approach the world with our religious dogma, our religious doctrine. And Jesus might say to us, like he said to Nicodemus, I want to know you. I don't want to have a religious conversation. I want to have a personal conversation. Or maybe we're like the woman at the well and we just feel like nobody really cares about me. The town doesn't care about me. I have to live my life like this and, you know, I'll do what I got to do to get by. And Jesus intersects our life and says, "Uh, I have the water of life. You came for water today. I have the water of life. Do you want it? Because you're somebody. The Roman soldier, desperate. The medicines, whatever he has access to, is not working. And Jesus tells this somebody that he's a somebody. Let's start by reading in John chapter 3. We're going to talk about Nicodemus. Um, So we'll get that next slide up there. The first scripture slide. Reading from John chapter 3, we read these words. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for we know that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus looked at Nicodemus, who had kind of snuck in, and he said, Most assuredly, I tell you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. If you were Nicodemus, and you had decided you wanted to meet Jesus, how could that possibly have come about? Imagine the dusty streets of Jerusalem, and Nicodemus is going to his council meetings, and yet he's out in the street, and he's getting reports, and he's hearing stories about this man who is healing people. He's hearing stories about this man who teaches with authority like no one he's ever heard. And yet his life is all together. He's progressed through Bible college and seminary and he's an expert in the law of Moses and yet somehow, though he's a somebody, Everybody treats him like a somebody. That's not quite enough. It's just not quite enough. And in his heart of hearts, he knows that. Who's moving him to be curious? Has God ever moved in your heart to be curious? How many people in here are saved by your trust in Jesus? Someday, whether it was in church or you weren't a church kid like me, I wasn't a church kid, and someday... Uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you hear a voice you might not even recognize, probably don't recognize who it is, and you're, you're motivated, you're moved to go read some scripture or go talk to somebody or be in some place or visit some church. And in that church, in your experience, you discovered something for the first time that God is convicting you. So in a way, before God, you have no status in terms of your own righteousness, you're a nobody, but God is telling you, I love you anyway. And to me, you are somebody. 
At Carriage Town Ministries, where I minister, we have uh, one core value that we remind each other all the time of, and that is everybody you meet today. Every single person you'll meet today, and it applies to you today. Everybody you meet today is God's idea. Everybody you will meet today and this week is a personal project of God Almighty, precious to Him. And the Bible says um, it's God's desire that all men and women would be saved, right? It says that. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God made us on purpose to get saved with a free will. And through our lives, he starts to move in us by putting people in our path and, and words in our path. I got saved. Part of that journey for me at age 12 was somebody painted a little sign that on, on a piece of wood that was in some bushes in the summer you couldn't see it but my school bus went by it in the winter and it just said prepare to meet thy God at the same time in the fifth grade um, before that somebody some two, two men from the Gideon organization are you familiar two men in the Gideon organization delivered some Bibles to a public classroom, public school classroom in the fifth grade, and that was my first Bible. And so that sign, a friend I played baseball with, are you saved? I don't know, what are you talking about? What is that? And then reading the Bible on my own in my bedroom at age 12, I came across the words that Jesus shared after this passage right here in, in the book of John chapter 3, when he said, Nicodemus, my father, God, he, he loves the world so much, so much, that he sent his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whosoever, anybody, somebody's, nobody's, whoever trusts in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And by myself, in my room, just me and that Bible, and the Holy Spirit, I got saved. I was a somebody who was under conviction for months before that, who kind of felt in some ways like a nobody in my standing with God, and God came and loved me through his scriptures, through his word. You know, in the first chapter of the book of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say that uh, this Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and He was life, and that life is the light of mankind. It's like if we look at the world and everything around us illuminated by Jesus, we can learn to understand it. We can learn who we are, who He is, and he says, we're somebody. Nicodemus came in there, and Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you're a teacher. You're a teacher of Israel. And you don't understand what I just told you, that you must, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because your spirit is dead was the meaning that Jesus was imparting upon this good somebody teacher of Israel. 
Your spirit needs to be born again. This word of God became flesh. It's like the very words of God are the mind of God. The words that spoke uh, creation into existence. This word of God. This part of God that communicates, that wants us to know who he is, became flesh. To live with us. And in John, in his book, you get towards the end and he says, I write these things. I write these things about what he said and did so that you can know who he is and who you are. So you can know that he is the son of God and that by trusting in him, you can have life. Every single soul in this room, me, you, young, old, everybody, in a hundred years, is going to have met Jesus already. We act like this is going to go on forever here, but we know that it's not. Some of us are more acutely aware of that than others. But while we're here, God wants us to know that he loves us and that sometimes when we think we're a somebody, we're thinking it for the wrong reason, like maybe we're part of the Jewish ruling council. But Jesus first wants us to know that's not enough. And that in order to be somebody, trust in me. Trust in me, and you will have life. You will have it now, forevermore, with meaning and purpose. In John chapter 4, we're introduced to someone else. And, and let's read these words. He was in Judea, but he left there. And he parted, departed to go up to Galilee. Judea is down here. It's like Kentucky. And here's uh, Samaria. It's like Ohio. And here's Galilee. It's like Michigan. Only all of this is a lot smaller. And in order to get from here to there, they used to go all the way around Samaria because they didn't like those folks. But Jesus said, today we're going right straight up through there. We're going to find out why there was a woman that he was intent on meeting. Of all the people in Jerusalem and all the people back home in Galilee, Jesus had his sight on one woman who the town had rejected because he knew she was going to get saved. With intention, he pursues you. With intention, he pursues me. And with intention, he went up through Samaria. Let's read these words. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, uh, dug a long, long time ago. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, this is part of coming in the flesh that he has to sleep, and he gets tired, by the way. <clears throat> he was tired. He was wore out. He was dusty. And he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, it says, so that's about noon. The day started at sunup, about 6 a.m., and so this, this was noon. And while he was sitting there, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He was there by himself, himself with her. His disciples had gone into town uh, to buy some food for later. And Jesus, in this passage, I encourage you to read it. Man, take this summer and listen to the book of John over and over again. It takes two hours. Did you know that? Just two hours. Find Bible Gateway or 
version Bible or your favorite version and just listen to it over and over and read it over and over again and memorize these people and these things that Jesus did. Why? Because they're people he met, things he said, things he did. We're supposed to know it. We're supposed to hide his word in our hearts. So when your pastor texts you on Wednesday and says you're being called up from Toledo to pitch, you're ready. At the well that Jesus she's she doesn't know if she's ready she's but if she's ready she's going to be and jesus sure had a plan for her and, and he says give me something to drink and she says you don't have anything to do why are you asking me by the way i'm a samaritan woman you're not supposed to be talking to me as a jew because i'm a woman and because i'm a samaritan and here we are you're talking to me right and Jesus says, and he cuts right to the quick, doesn't he? It's like, if you knew the gift that I have, you would have asked me for living water. Something different than you came here to get, and I would have given it to you freely. Water that's everlasting. And now she's practical. I mean, if I had this water, I wouldn't have to come here anymore. Uh. Well, she started to get religious again, like Nicodemus did, and she said, well, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem, and we don't do that. We worship here in the mountain, and, and we do other things. And Jesus um, basically looked at her and said, we're going to talk about you. How about go get your husband and come back, and we'll, we'll have more of a conversation, just, you know, the three of us. I don't have a husband, she said. And Jesus said, you know, I know you don't have a husband. I also know that you've had five husbands. And the man you're shacking up right with now, right right now, is not, not your husband. Now, if we don't take a minute and think about that, we're clueless as to how that must have made her feel. But it's like Nathaniel that... Uh, was in the earlier chapter where Jesus said, yeah, I, I was thinking about you when I saw you on the fig tree, when he thought he was all by himself. And here, here she is. Well, she comes to believe in Jesus in these moments. And she said, well, when Messiah comes, he's going to do this and that. And Jesus looks at her and says, The one who's speaking to you, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. Man. He did so many things that were unexpected. The house he was born in, the family he came to, and now meeting this woman, and he's telling her plainly, I'm the Messiah. Just like if you're saved, one day he told you he was the Messiah in some way. And all the evidence, she trusted in him. She went and got the townspeople. And this story concludes with not only did she believe, but many of the people from the town believed because she went and she brought them to Jesus. Immediate fruit. Immediate bearing of fruit in her life. Incredible. The nobody becomes somebody. There's another story in John chapter 4 um, 
about a Roman official um, from Capernaum. And uh, <clears throat> it says here, in, in John chapter 4, 46, we'll start reading there through verse 53, once more, Jesus visited Cana. So coming up through Samaria, he got to Cana, which is just north of Nazareth, on the west side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Pastor Steve preached about last week. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When his, this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee, he came. Why? Because he believed Jesus could do something for him. Jesus hadn't even done a lot of miracles yet. But this Roman official believed Jesus could do something for him, so he was moved to come to see him. He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death, unless you people see signs, Jesus said. It wasn't the response that this man was hoping for. Unless you people see signs, um, where, where do we go here? Uh, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus said, you will never believe. The royal official wasn't deterred at all, though, and he said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go. Jesus replied to him, Your son will live. Now, it would have been tempting to imagine this man saying, but aren't you going to send me some prayer cloth, something you've anointed? Aren't you going to send me some words to, to say? If you're not going to come, aren't you going to send me some medicine? But this man's faith, his, his trust in that Jesus could do something was so powerful that he just went home. The man took Jesus at his word, and he departed, and when he was still on his way, can you imagine this? His servants came to him and said, your boy lives. And he said, okay, 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 what time? What time did that happen? What time was it? And he said, yesterday, at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And the official remembered, this is, this is right when I talked to Jesus. Personal testimony, personal thing, his own thing. He knew what time he talked to Jesus, and he knew what time Jesus healed his son, so he knew who did it. You ever have any affirmation in your life like that? Uh, some of you are saying, oh, I've prayed. Some of you say yes. Some of you are saying, oh, I've prayed for uh, my, my, my dad who was sick and got cancer, and uh, he, I prayed and prayed, and he still died. But if he was saved, he doesn't have any cancer anymore, right? We all know something is going to take us out of here. And it's not necessarily God's will that he's going to heal everything and let us live here for a thousand years. Guess what? It's probably not his will. But if you have heart disease, if you have cancer, if you have MS, whatever you have, you have COVID and it's bad, if you have that and you're trusting in Jesus... And he takes you out that way, that is your graduation. And you will never have to do that again, ever. You will never, whatever you have to experience. John the Baptist, hey John, come here. We're going to lay you across this, this stump and we're going to cut your head off. He had to do that once. Whatever fear he had about that, he just did it once. And now he's a martyr forever. Special to Jesus. 
You want to be special to Jesus? Let me tell you how. You already are. You already are. He made you on purpose. But you want to to make him smile and happy with your progress. Trust in him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Every day. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Every decision, every hope, every word. And he will direct your paths. He wants to. Because to him, you are absolutely somebody. Just like that centurion. In fact, as we get ready to close, there's a chance you won't have to lift your hands, but you can anyway, if you want, at 1024. We're all somebody, and we're all nobody to somebody. Ladies, remember that old boyfriend that rejected you? You thought you were a nobody? You're somebody. Guys, remember that girl who left you for somebody else? She thought you were nobody. You're somebody. More seriously, the person who comes here every week to church and you still feel anonymous for some reason, just haven't connected with a group or a class or people, well, that's on you and it's on us. But to Jesus, you're somebody. And nobody can take that away from you. He made you on purpose. You are somebody important and precious to him. He has a trajectory planned for you. He has a plan for you. Making a decision with your free will to trust in him and have life eternally so that all your worries and cares of here one day will pass away. You are absolutely somebody in the mind of Jesus. We're all somebody to the one who made us. Even when it seems like we've wasted everything, the window still might be open. Even, even like, like some of the, the, the men and ladies I meet at Carriagetown Ministries, just, you know, they might be in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and now they're homeless, and, and maybe they've been homeless for a long time, and they feel like, man, I never could keep a job, or I never could have a job, because I have this strong mental illness, or I just... But I feel like I've wasted my life, and here I am, and I don't know what you're talking about when you talk about Jesus. I just just don't feel, I don't feel like I'm worth anything. You don't have to get baptized to be saved. You don't have to take communion to be saved. You don't have to do penitence to be saved. You don't have to do good works to be saved, right? You can't buy anybody off to be saved. It's just trusting in Jesus. Trust in Him today. Jesus says, you're somebody.